0: Hey everyone, my name is Megan and welcome back to the What's Your Why podcast. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're keeping okay. Right now in this very second, I feel like I'm thriving. I'm sitting on the sofa with the two dogs and I just feel really good right now. But bitch, let me tell you something. I move between thriving and surviving very frequently, very fastly. I don't sit in one for long periods of time. So however you're feeling showing up to this podcast it's okay sometimes i feel like when i'm in this surviving kind of mindset living day to day minute by minute or minute to minute i just need a reminder to like do something nice for myself so let this be the reminder to you if that's what you need do something nice for yourself get off your phone do a little bit of exercise have some sex eat some good food do whatever feels right for you this episode is the first one that i've recorded since being in australia And it feels so fitting, the person that's in this episode, because when I left Ireland, my two little sisters wrote me letters. And in each of the letters, there was a to-do list of all of the things I had to do while in Australia. And on both of their lists, they said they wanted me to meet the Clark family. I'm guessing most people that will listen to this will know who they are. But if you don't, they're a family that just show the most real, honest, vulnerable happy healthy all of the different parts of what a family looks like and what their family looks like and i think they set a very realistic outlook on what families can look like sometimes they're really honest in sharing their struggles their successes they just share a lot with people and i really connect with them for that my little sisters love watching their videos too But one person I connect with super strongly out of the family is Jonathan Clark, And that's who this episode is going to be with. In this episode, Jonathan chats through so much. He talks about his relationship with his parents, his journey with addiction, how much he loves his family and what's it like being a parent for him. We talk about so much in it and it honestly taught me so much. And I'm just so happy that my little sisters have a family like that to look up to and a person like that to look up to and I see my little sister doing things with her dad that like Deja and her dad would do which is one of his daughters so I just think they're setting a really beautiful and realistic example of what family is and means to us so that's why I reached out to Jonathan and wanted to chat to him about what his experience is like if you're impacted by anything we talk about in this episode head over to the Instagram it's underscore what's your why underscore underscore and there's a support highlight there for you to get any support that you might need okay i'm going to start by asking a quick rapid fire few questions just to settle us in so if you were to be stuck on a desert island what are two things that you'd bring with you
1: oh jeez, what would i bring i would bring a cow <laughs> i would bring um a something to make fire what else would i bring so hard <laughs> i would bring an axe um so that i can chop down trees and- i
0: definitely bring a fucking disposable camera or something a little bit different <laughs> what is a compliment that you've heard before that's like stuck with you for a long time
1: um well that's a good one too maybe that i'm too generous it's funny because some people see that as a as a negative but i don't see it as a negative. Um, so. Hence, why I took it as a compliment. Yeah, I just, I just think it's a, it's an enduring quality to have.
0: Where does your generosity come from?
1: Oh, maybe from my father.
0: How do you think you got that from him?
1: Um, I think he can be quite a generous person, and he's a bit. My father's a bit of a misunderstood character in our family. Mm. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't. Always get along very well, but um, he—I think he's quite generous and giving in his time. And if he had something to help you, he wouldn't hold back in in offering it up.
0: Mm. Do you talk to your dad often?
1: My father and my um, relationship is complicated, so we go through these um ebbs and flows in our relationship where we are super tight and then there are times when we don't speak at all so we're in one of those cycles now where we don't talk
0: shit that's something that i connect to a lot and can relate to a lot and it's something that people don't really talk about too often but I know the impact can be mighty like how do you reckon it impacts you when you go through the stages of not talking very often
1: i think deep down i'm a pretty sensitive person so it it affects me in the sense that i'm a family-oriented person as well so i think that family is very important and yeah when i don't have that relationship it's it's um it affects me deeply like inside Mm. but i'm also quite a stoic person and have to and i've learned to sort of set my boundaries and be you know, not be defensive but just be proactive in in what's expected. So yeah, I just my father's a very stubborn person and he's um he's very set in his ways and he doesn't like to admit he's wrong even though he is and yeah, yeah so um it just comes to a point where there's sort of no real there's no real way to make, make amends other than just separating myself from that because it's it causes too much hurt if you know what I mean
0: oh 100% I know what you mean if you were to press pause on him being such a stubborn person and you knew that he had you had his undivided attention and he'd listen to anything that you'd say what would you say to him
1: (sighs) firstly I'd thank him for everything right so he brought me to this country when he was you know in his early 20s he gave up his life in South Africa, brought his um his young son and his wife over here. And he sacrificed a lot in his in the first, say, decade of his life here in Australia to give my brother and I a, a life that um you know to give us a a stepping block to to succeed. And I'm very grateful for that. Um but at the same time I'd want him to I just want him to have a perspective of looking within and realizing that um, it's okay to be wrong and that um, being able to admit that and being able to come to a resolution around that yeah. is so powerful in, 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 in ensuring a relationship can continue and strengthen and grow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like when you're in the wrong, you can accept it?
1: I think I can. And I've learned that a lot through probably the 12-step program that I went through when I came out of my addiction. Because I was very like that. And I wouldn't, even though I knew I was wrong, I would dig my heels in. And um, it would just cause more issues. And, you know, going through the steps of the program, there's a step called your step four and step five, right, where you really have to you really have to make amends and take responsibility for all the things that you've done to create the situation that you're in. And yeah, so I think now I'd have that ability, but I, but I also have the perspective of where he's coming from and not sort of being pushed to a point where he has to, um, take the other stance.
0: Jonathan, we are seven minutes into this chat, and I'm eating up every word that you're saying. And you touched on addiction there, and it's something I'd love to bring it back to because, as we've spoken about before, we even recorded this conversation. Addiction is something that we have in common. For me, I feel like it's something I fell into, and there was so much shame and everything attached to it that I felt like because nobody else was speaking about it, I couldn't speak about it. And with addiction, it's like a secret language, I feel like, unless you have experienced it, it can be so hard to talk about. Yeah. Would you be open to telling me a little bit about what your journey with addiction has been like?
1: Yeah, for sure. I began using when I was quite young. And as you said, it, it you, you sort of roll into it and it develops over time. So we say like in the program, there's a lot of not yet's. like, so a lot of people will look at someone and They may be in the depths of addiction, but they don't from the outside looking in They look like a normal person. They have a job. They have a family. They pay their bills um, Everything looks rosy on the outside. So um, as I said, I, I started using Young would start with alcohol and then it moved on to um, Marijuana when I was sort of in my mid teens and I was also I was always like a melancholic melancholic um, type of person and very introspective and very sort of would sort of beat myself up and if I did something wrong I wouldn't I wouldn't on the outside show that I was um, that I was sorry or mad about it or or anything like that but on the inside I really beat myself up about it and I would have a lot of self talk in my head I would lay in bed at night and. Just think about stuff, and it would drive me insane. So, I think to quieten that, I used to use to sort of self-medicate. You know what I mean? To try and just space out and get away from those thoughts that would come in. And the cycle of addiction moves on, right? So you use, and you use to sort of escape that. But then once you're once you're high or in that in that state you do more things to create those thoughts to come back do you know what i mean you um jeopardize your morals you would do things that you probably wouldn't you, you probably shouldn't be doing and that creates more of a situation where you're you're hurting other people you're doing things that go against your internal um conscience and then those thoughts come back again and it's just a cycle and then you try and drown them out again and then you know for me it moved on to you know i didn't have i had a drug of choice but for me it was whatever it was it didn't really bother me what it was it could be alcohol it could be um, methamphetamine amphetamine ecstasy weed cocaine whatever it was um for me to get away from being myself and having those thoughts and lit and just sitting with myself so And like I said, it was from the outside. Most people would have just thought I enjoyed to dabble, right? And I enjoyed to do stuff. And everyone knew me as the person who was up for anything. And I would party and I would do whatever it was. Um, But for me, it was never a a moment where I could say I wasn't searching for the next one. Do you know what I mean? I was always wanting to know when I was going to get on next, when I was going to – if we were going out to – a family dinner or just meeting other friends. It was like, can we get a drink? When can I get a drink? When can we start, when, I, when can I start to sort of self-medicate? And, you know, I could never have a bottle of alcohol in the house. I could never have a bag of cocaine or anything in the house where it wasn't, I didn't plan on using it till the end. And then when it got close to the end, it was like, all right, start the plan of how can I get more? When can I get more? How can I get the money to get more, Etc. Et so it was just a perpetual thing that kept going and going, and got to a point where I was in complete self denial. Like I was just like, "This is the way that I am. There's nothing wrong with it. I like, I like using drugs. Um, alcohol is legal, so there's no real difference between. To me, there was no real difference between legal drugs and legal drugs. It was like, well, if alcohol's legal, then there's no reason for me to not dabble in the other stuff as well, and what really sort of set me off or sort of made me look at myself properly is that I started seeing, I went to different psychologists and, and psychiatrists over my time and, you know, got diagnosed with depression and all the rest of that sort of stuff. But then one day I was, I went to see this new psychiatrist and he sat me down and he, I would usually not tell the complete truth to mine therapists or whoever was sort of seeing me. And this time I thought, you know, I was in my early thirties and I thought, oh, I'm just going to tell him the complete truth. Cause I want to see whether if I do that, I can get some real help. Do you know what I mean? And when I told him the complete story, he was like, Whoa, have you ever, have you ever thought about going to a rehab or, or a detox? And when he said that to me, I was like, what do you mean like why would i need to do that I'm, i don't have, i don't have a problem and that just made me think like i walked away from that um from that appointment thinking well maybe i do have a problem because this is the first time i've told the whole story and someone's and someone in a you know he didn't offer to medicate me or offer to treat me he wanted to send me away to to get to a point where he could treat me and i was just like whoa that was a real wake-up call to me and that was my first sort of step for me to sort of come to the um, conclusion that i did have a problem and that i needed to seek help for it and that's that started me on that process to do that because i had been i had stepped inside 12 step program rooms before but it was always an ultimatum from, say, my wife or people around me saying, you need to do this or else we don't want to see you again or we don't want to have anything to do with you. So I would do that and it was always sort of like I was pushed into it. But this was the first time where I stepped into the rooms of my own accord and I sat down, and I shut up and I listened to other people. And the first meeting I was just like, yep, I'm definitely I definitely have a problem and I'm definitely one of these people. Like I'm definitely, I could relate to so many stories that were being told and all the things that were being said in that room. I was just like, you know, cause they say, when you go in, don't. And they said this to me the first time I went in, they said, don't look, don't look for the differences, look for the similarities. Right. And the first time that I walked into the rooms, I never looked for the similarities. I thought I would listen to stories. I'm like, Oh, I'm not like that. I don't do that. I'm not that bad. I'm not, you know, I'm not this. I'm not that. Yeah. And this time, the first time I sat down and I listened to all the similarities, I was like, "Yep, I can understand that. I'm exactly like that." And I, I found all the similarities. And yeah, that was the the start of the journey to to my sobriety.
0: I don't know about you, but for me, when that light bulb went off and I realised, oh, I actually do have a problem with this. It was mixed with relief and also massive shame and guilt. What was it like for you when you realized that it actually was a problem and it wasn't just going for the bag or having a drink on the weekends? Like it was a bit more serious than that.
1: Yeah, very similar to you. It was a relief. It was literally a relief because I always had this thing on the inside. What's wrong with me? Like, um even though I'm profiting the outside, oh, there's nothing wrong, I'm fine, blah, blah, blah. But inside, deep, deep down, you know, there's something wrong and you're trying to find out what that is. And then, like like you said, it was it was like a weight off my So I was like, all right, I know now I have sort of a diagnosis. All right, this is what's wrong with you. This is the type of person you are. And it was also a relief that, In that room, there were people with 10, 15, 20, 25 years of sobriety, you know what I mean? And it was like, all right, well, I'm in the right place. These people have got through it and they've been in worse positions than I was when they started. And they're living these magnificent lives and they have such great perspective and they spoke so well and their stories really resonated with me. And that was, yeah, it was a relief.
0: And how long are you into your sobriety? Six years. Wow that's fucking incredible like six years is a long time and obviously I feel like we have an insight into what addiction can look like and it's not always this stereotypical the way it's portrayed in movies type thing do you think there's anything that people misunderstand or get wrong about addiction?
1: Sure I think the main thing people have the main thing is that um people when they hear the word addict they think you know the person the scruffy person on the street who's scratching their arm who's looking to to steal from you or whatever um and that's a massive misconception because what it does is that makes people that aren't don't fit that mold think that they don't have a problem and When you step into the rooms, you see people, lawyers, doctors, um, real estate agents, any type of person that you could think of out there in the world who has it together um, fits into that category and may have an issue behind the scenes that you don't know that they're dealing with. So I think that's the big big misconception is that um, the word addict has this connotation around it, that it should be this type of person and you should be able to see you know you should be able to look at someone and say yep yeah, they're an addict but a lot of the times you you wouldn't have a clue you could be talking you probably talk to many of them during the day and have not an, not an idea
0: yeah and you kind of spoke about how you start using because you know you struggled with depression how do you navigate that now that you're not using anymore
1: so the big thing for me was my step four and five right was really taking an in inventory and writing down everything that from from when i could remember up until that day of everyone and everything that i had a resentment against and that i had issues you know anything that you have this internal feeling that's an unease um and once i took that inventory and then went through and made amends with everyone that i could and then made amends made my personal amends to everyone that i couldn't um it was like a clean slate so what i try and do now is as those things come up i don't let them i don't let time go go too far without me addressing them and and cleaning the slate again so as long as that slate is as clean as it can be then there's no room for those thoughts and stuff to come up in your mind and there's no reason for you to have to try try and drown that out so becoming comfortable and um, at ease with yourself is the big key for me is just making sure that there's no um, there's no reason for me to want to use and yeah like I said just clean that slate as it comes along
0: and have you had to figure all of this out on your own or has there been anyone that's really been a part of the journey with you
1: yeah my wife definitely because she's been through a lot with me over my over my addiction it wasn't at a point where it was it was always there but she had she went to it into a blindly she was young we were both young and when it when it got to the point where I started to, I, you know, I, I had that realization, and then I stepped into the rooms and went through the whole process. She's been with me the whole time and encouraging me, and just being sort of my big supporter and rock around the whole thing. So definitely my wife, and then just the other people in the rooms, like the people that I've made friends with that um, were walking, that are walking the path, or that i have walked to the path, and were there to sort of guide me through the whole thing um yeah i couldn't have done it without without them either
0: i'm so glad that you had those people in your corner supporting you and look for everybody how they get help in recovery is different right i needed bluntness had to have someone sit with me and actually tell me to my face you are an addict and you need help and then go soft with me and be kind what do you think worked for you in terms of getting support from people
1: um i think it was just to be understood and not to be judged do you know what i mean because there's nothing worse than like you know you beat yourself up enough more than anyone else when you're in that situation and you've got to you've got to be able to learn to love yourself in spite of everything that you've done and by having other people that you love and cherish, having them judge you and look and look down on you—it just exacerbates everything. So, um, so that's yeah, that's been a big thing: is just having that non-judgmental support and uh, just that sort of unconditional support.
0: I feel like there's been so much growth from where you've come from to where you are now today, and I think both versions of you have a lot of power. But what do you love most about who you are today?
1: Um. I love that I'm I'm a lot calmer and more introspective than I was before. I would I had anger issues, I would blow up, I would punch holes in walls, I would do like really stupid stuff. And I love that now that I'm able to to have a a step back perspective and look at the bigger picture and know that what's going on in this moment doesn't need to be something that's going to define the rest of my life it's just a moment and it'll pass and um, even though someone's saying or acting in a certain way it doesn't mean that that's the way that they're going to be forever or that that is going to impact everything in such a big scale like I have this sort of I have the skills now to just be able to, to take a step back and just let things sort of happen and deal with them appropriately instead of trying to make trying to really manipulate a situation to make it work.
0: I was smiling when you said that you used to like punch holes in walls and stuff because I already told you this but I run workshops for teenagers and every time I'm in a room with young guys whenever we talk about anger they're always the ones to say they lash out at people and they punch holes in walls and they don't know how to process that anger on time to stop them from doing that stuff. So I could just imagine you being one of those. But what do you think was going on in your mind and in your body to make you act out that way?
1: I think it was, um, it was a lack of control. Like you have this thing in your mind that you like. You need to be able to control the situation and and the outcome. And once once it gets to a point where you don't have that you need to sort of grasp any type of control that you have. So, and it sounds sort of stupid and counterintuitive, but by acting out and lashing out, that's your sort of way of saying, I'm taking control, I'm taking charge, I'm gonna be this, this person. And um, yeah, I think that's the main thing is just like the, the feeling of losing control and not being able to contain the situation that a lot of the time you've created anyway.
0: God, you're smart. <laughs> What do you think you'd say to your younger self if you got the chance? Um,
1: I'm just telling, like, it's okay. It's not your fault. Like, you don't have to, whatever's happening now, it's not the be all and end all. And it's not going to, it's not going to have the impact that you believe it's going to have. So just take some time.
0: You've been like so generous in everything you've shared so far about your past. I'd love to know a little bit more about like, what does your present life look like?
1: Um, life is, is really good I mean, I've got, you know, my wife is, um, really succeeding in her, in her career path that she's gone down, you know, social media and, um, the whole thing, the whole, the whole life that sort of created for us has been really such a blessing. Um, you know, my, being involved with my kids and watching my youngest daughter sort of grow up and see me from sort of her 5 6 year old to now she's seen me sort of in this state where i haven't been in the depths of addiction so that's been really good to be able to give her that perspective of me um and then also for my eldest daughter who has sort of lived through her early teens and mid teens with me in that place for her to be able to see me sort of turn as well has been such a blessing and to watch her grow into the young lady that she is and she's succeeding in in her career as well and um you know she's about about to buy a house next her first house next month and so life for me is sort of you know just being able to help my family and support my family as much as i can and then try and forge this new career that i have um at the same time of you know trying to sort of make a a life that's you know, that's happy for everyone, that everyone can sort of thrive in um, and just be that be that person that's there for everyone as much as I can be.
0: You have like a special kind of glow about you when you talk about your family. What's a special moment you have with each of them that you want to carry with you, literally until the day you die?
1: There are so, like with my youngest, there are just so many moments I couldn't, I, it's so hard to to choose one. I think maybe when they're in that younger toddler, era like when they're like two three four years old and you are like the, everything to them um just those moments where they they like hug you really tight and you just feel that overpouring of love come out of them um those moments are really special and i think maybe when my eldest daughter because i'm not her biological father so just before kat and i got married so probably about six months or so before yeah. We got married. She started to call me dad. So, you know, when that started to happen, that was pretty special to me as well. So,
0: with letitia you are what she sees as her dad. So, what's it like for you when people ask, "Are you her real dad?"
1: Yeah, it's a funny. When people say that, I first question that comes to my head is like, "What do you mean? Like, do you mean am I her biological father?" Because then the answer is no, but I'm not. Um, But if I'm just going to answer that question straight out, am I her real dad? Then it's a yes, but I don't want to confuse that person. But at the same time, I just think, oh, is that is that really important? Uh, um, but it may be important to them to know that. So for me, it's always, I just want to clarify, what do you mean? Do you mean, um, am I her biological father or, or am I her, does she call me dad? Um, so, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And you are an incredible dad. My sisters, carrie Ann and Brianna, they watch you with the girls and they admire that. And I can just see like little parts, like even Brianna, the youngest one, trying to get her dad in to do TikTok dances. Like it's very much so how she sees your relationship play out. And she's 11, so she's similar age to Deja. You know, just kind of having not even one person to look up to, a partnership to look up to. Um, It's really beautiful. And the older one, she's 19, like even her having an example of what a father-daughter relationship can look like is so amazing. I have a lot of gratitude to you for setting that example of what's possible. So thank you for that. Thank you. What does it feel like having so many eyes on you and your family? And I feel like it happened very fast for you guys too. Like, what's that been like?
1: I think subconsciously as sort of Kat and I were younger, we always sort of, I think we could always saw us successful in the public in one way or another. So it sort of played out in a way that we sort of hoped it would, but at the same time, we couldn't depict exactly how it was going to happen. It is confronting sometimes that, you know, there are people that, that know more about my life than my my brother would know about me do you know what i mean and um so at times it's a little bit confronting but we take it with the gratitude you know what i mean because it's people look people look up to us and people look at us as a you know as a family that they really enjoy watching so i get a lot of gratitude out of that and um and it never You know i i I never walk past the fact that without those people sort of loving us or welcoming welcoming us into their life that we wouldn't be able to have the life that we have right now do you know what i mean so um i always have a lot of gratitude for those people and a lot of time for for anyone who comes up and says hello or wants a photo or anything like that and it also makes me proud to know that um that people have that much admiration for you know, my my girls, my daughter, my wife and my family as a whole. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a proud, proud moment to to be able to look at that and say, Oh wow, these people actually care. So it's yeah.
0: I love hearing you talk about Kath and I love watching videos of you together and everything. What is your relationship like with her?
1: Kath and I's relationship is it's ever evolving. I mean, we've we went through All the stages that you could think of in a relationship you know we went through that that first infatuation and all over each other and you know writing you know writing notes to each other and all that sort of you know making each other's lunches and all that sort of stuff and then moved through to a stage where it was a lot of fighting and a lot of getting to know getting to know each other while also getting to know ourselves because we were still quite young but then also having to navigate the parental side of things at the same time it's really you know having those compromises like i want to bring up my child this way but i want that she wants to bring her up this way and then where can we meet somewhere in the middle and sort of respect each other's um views but also being able to give enough but also let them control as much as they need to as well so it's really a a compromise and a balancing act as a husband and wife but also as a mother and father in that situation Mm -hmm. so we've gone through that and then and then now you know we've gone through you know having businesses together you know almost being bankrupt um you know being having to scrounge money and and go to like food banks to get food for our family things like that we've been the poorest of poor and then you know now having the, the ability to, to take our children on overseas holidays and and have a great life so it's going through that with someone and having that um having that unconditional love poured on you but then also getting it at the same time but at the same time having boundaries that each other put up and say yes i have unconditional love for you but this is a non-negotiable, and if this happens, then there's a serious there's a serious question on how we move forward from here type of thing. So it's yeah, it's it is ever evolving because as we we grow as people, then our relationship has to grow and and mature and change as as that happens as well. So yeah, it's been it's always a learning experience, but it's it's something that you know, that we enjoy and we're always having to take stock and think you know where do we go from here because the feelings that you had six months ago six years ago aren't always the same as you are now and it's like well a lot of people look at that and go well well maybe I don't love them anymore well no it's not that it's not that you don't love them it's just that the feeling isn't the same and you need to take a you know take a step back and have a big big picture view on it and see how you move forward from here because just because exactly you don't feel exactly the same as you did now it doesn't mean that it's not real and that it's not worth continuing so yeah
0: what's your favorite thing about her?
1: um so probably my favorite thing is the type of mother she is she is uh relentless she loves those kids like so much and more than anything like she would sacrifice everything for them and to have someone who you have complete trust with your children like there's no question about does she have their best interests at heart? Are they gonna be safe? Uh uh, is everything gonna be okay for them if I wasn't around? That's probably a real that's a real blessing and something that I really admire about her. And then also her her work ethic, like she work she will work tirelessly and relentlessly and she sets goals, she's driven, she meets her goals and her targets, and she just pushes forward and has this, even if she doesn't have like she's not academically or highly intelligent or things like that it's she uses what she has and her skills to the best of her ability and she just pushes forward so yeah
0: and what if I asked her that question what do you think she'd say her favorite thing about you is oh <laughs> um
1: maybe my like I said in the beginning probably my generosity um like I've always she's always said to me like I, I'm I'm a real softy on the inside so like the really things really break my heart so like like if uh, if I see a homeless person in there and they want money if I don't if I have money if, even if it's a large amount of money in my pocket you know I've only got a twenty dollar bill I'll give that person that that money and she'll be like why did you give that person that like, why did you give them so much money or you know blah, blah blah I always have that thing inside and it's like oh you don't know what that act could do for that person you don't know where they've been today or what they need today and yeah they might go buy some drugs with it but they might go they might do something they might be able to go and have a shower or buy a meal or something like that so i'm always i have that i'm a bleeding heart she calls me so yeah
0: (laughs) god you remind me so much of my mom in that sense and i know you said that your dad is where a lot of your generosity comes from but that care and that love and that want to make sure people are okay why is that important to you
1: it probably it's like a mirror i think i think it's like i would want someone to have that compassion towards me and i've been in a such i've been in situations where people haven't shown that compassion to me and i know how that's felt so i think not not wanting that person to feel like that, and having the ability to be able to change their situations in one way or another, um, yeah, that's probably where it comes from—is is having that pers- perspective of having been close to the, that situation, or um, you know, and wanting to have people show compassion towards me and, and help me, and give me a hand, give me a hand out of the situation that I'm in, and to know how powerful that can be. Even if it's, even if it's just a gesture of not, even if you aren't able to give something, even if it's a word or, even like a, a, showing or you know a face, a look, a word, anything like that can can really change someone's life. So, yeah, I think that's probably where it's come from.
0: What's a moment of compassion that somebody showed you before that made a difference in your life?
1: Maybe like small things, like, you know, when I was young and. You know my parents never really gave us money to do things and you know having a friend that was like maybe buy you a burger something like that like just small stupid things that you think are nothing or you know you don't have any money for tuck shop and someone just buys you a, a cinnamon scroll or a juice or something just mm-hmm. something like that those things yeah
0: i think it's such a beautiful quality to have so i think it's really special that you do that for a lot of people and i hope people continue to do that for you through life. I definitely believe that what you put out is what comes back to you. Mm. What's something that like you're proudest of yourself for?
1: Definitely staying clean and sober for as long as I have. Um, that's definitely up there, being a father and having kids that are stable, confident and successful, intelligent, um, you know, that aren't, strung out on drugs or telling me to f off and running out the house and you know wanting to have a relationship with me um yeah that's definitely something and then also having a a marriage that's lasted for so long
0: and with the being sober is there a moment that you can remember of just being like "Fuck, i've, I've done it like i've i've come so far i'm not where i used to be like is there a day or a moment that you can remember really connecting to that pride
1: yeah i think on my first anniversary like of 12 months um, it was like the first the first 90 days is probably the most crucial right and they say do 90 meetings in 90 days at least do, do that and see what happens and i did that and then coming to a point where i could sit in a room with people around me using and not have any urge and not feel the need to have to walk away because I couldn't be in that environment. That was really powerful just to be able to sit there and look and not judge other people for what they're doing and not um, be in a situation where I was like, oh shit, I really want to do this, but I can't. Um, And having that sort of, um, that mindset of like, this is fine, they can do what they want to do. I can still have fun and I can still hang around people that do this sort of stuff. and yeah, it just to be completely okay with that and my body wasn't just like shaking going, I wanna do this, I wanna do this, yeah.
0: I love that because I think you've done so much that if I were you, I'd be super proud. So it's nice to hear like what your experience of that has been. Looking at your life and where you've come from, where you're at and where you're going, what do you think your why in life is?
1: Um. So, obviously an easy one to say with my children they're a massive why to me and my family as a whole my my wife and my children but i think above all that is my peace like my inner peace because i think without having that then all the other things wouldn't happen the way that they have if i didn't have that peace then there would be turmoil in those other areas and i probably wouldn't have a successful relationship with my wife and my kids may not like me or want to be around me Um, so i think i need to like i've always put my you've got to be selfish to be unselfish if you know what i mean so you've got to put yourself in your well-being and your tranquility and peace first because if you don't then everything else that you want to make your priority is not going to be able to be there at all so yeah
0: Fuck! i could literally just listen to you speaking for hours like yeah you speak so well <laughs> and this is obviously like your it's your episode you get to talk about whatever you want like is there anything else that you want to chat about that would just capture where you're at in life or parts of your journey or anything else you want to chat about
1: i have a deeply restrained relationship with my mother and i think a lot of people like when mother's day and think those things come around i always have a deep feeling for people that don't have that relationship with their with their mother because. In the media, in in popular culture, it's always like, you know, the mother is nurturing and caring and all giving and would do anything for you, et cetera, et cetera. And when you don't have that in your life, those types of um, situations can be really, uh, I will say, not off-putting, but really numbing. Like you just want to get away from it or put a wall up or not want to feel anything about that. So, yeah, I just think that's really important for people to have um, a perspective that it's okay for... You not to have the ideal relationship that you have with your your parents or and especially your mother because i think a mother's relationship with a with a son or a daughter is completely different than a than a father daughter or father son relationship and it's something that i struggle that's probably the biggest thing i struggle with in my life that most people wouldn't know and don't i don't talk about a lot um is I don't have that relationship with her and i haven't had it for a long time and i don't think i ever i've ever had it and yeah that's probably one of the biggest things that strove and sort of shape me internally and yeah i just want people to have that knowledge that it's okay to have to have those feelings and to have that situation happen in your life and it doesn't have to dictate how you move forward with your life or have or how you have a relationship with your children
0: I'm so grateful that you brought this into this conversation, Jonathan. This is something that's not spoken about near enough. Even for me, I grew up in foster care, so I'd only see my mom on weekends, and now she's not here. And I think that comes with a massive identity crisis thing of the person that's supposed to give unconditional love is not present in my life anymore. So who am I without that? Would you be open to chatting about that a little bit more?
1: Sure. My mum is a, she's an alcoholic, right? So she's a practising alcoholic and has been my entire life, but I didn't really have a, I didn't really have an idea of what she was until I got an idea of who I was. And then it was just like, oh my God, everything's just sort of clicked. And it was just like, okay, I have an understanding of who she is and why she is the way that she is. But at the same time, it's like, doesn't make it easier um so my relationship with her i will never really be able to have like a real you know when mums like give you advice and they give you that they just sit down and talk to you like a real person with my mum it's you know 90% of the time she's she'll be drunk when you're talking to her so there's nothing real coming out of that conversation and you know, i got to a point in my life now where I've just I've just cut it off. So I, I don't see her. I don't call her on her birthday. I don't call her on Mother's Day. And it's not that I'm trying to be mean. It's just that I'm I've, in my own sort of maybe sick and way, I just wanted to realize that that she has the opportunity to not have to not be the way that she is. And that I'm not going to put myself and my children in a situation where they can feel hurt and vulnerable when they don't need to be. Um she was always a hard working person. She always made sure that the house was clean and tidy, that there was meals on the table, that we had food on our backs. She went to work, paid the bills, did all the things that that are normal in life. But when it came to having a a real and proper relationship with her children and and her husband, that was never there. It was always her drinking which became the which was the priority and was always and I've come to realize that she did all the things that are considered normal paying the bills and keeping the house clean all and that was that was all this so that she could reward herself do you know what I mean so that she could say well I've done all this so that so I can I can have a drink or I can do this so I can do that because everything else is taken care of when she hasn't really She doesn't really have the foresight to say well she hasn't everything isn't taken care of you know the the nuts and bolts are taken care of but the actual core of what needs to be taken care of when you're a mother has been left desolate since the beginning and um yeah that's just something that i really struggle with is that yeah i don't understand how someone can be so removed from everything no relationship with your grandchildren, with your children, and not, even when it gets to the extreme of them not talking to you anymore, not wanting to know why or figure out why, or maybe come to a resolution of what can I do to mend everything, just leave it the way that it is and not do anything. It just, yeah, really concerns me.
0: And what do you feel like you needed or still need more of from her?
1: I think just just being present, like completely present and not being so selfish, like being more selfless and um, putting the needs or the, you know, the needs of the people that you've brought into this world and, and the people that they've brought into this world, putting their needs and their requirements above yours at times when it makes sense to, um, and, yeah like there's nothing that she can sort of teach me anymore i'm I'm 40 years old but she could you know just even wanting to sit down and give me some advice and say what she would do here and what she thinks of the situation and congratulating me or um, being happy for me in this or um, being interested in things that uh, i'm interested in if you know what i mean i've always as a father that i think that's something that's i've always tried to do with my kids is even if i don't like something or well, that's not in an in, in interest of mine is making an effort to be interested in something that they that they are interested in and finding out about it and then being able to talk to them about it even if i don't really care about it but i care about it because they care about it um yeah that's probably something that that i would enjoy from her just being present and wanting to have a uh, an involvement them in our lives
0: like is there any kind of way that you've been long-term impacted by how your mom was and is with you
1: yeah i think very similar to what you're saying it was always like what have i done what am i am i not doing something etc etc but once i went through my addiction and, and recovery I realized that it was that it's not and i can i can pinpoint exactly what her issues are and where they've stemmed from and how they've been cultivated into the way that they are now um and having that perspective has made me have less of a made it hurt less it doesn't hurt doesn't completely not hurt anymore but it made because i've got an understanding i know that it's not my fault that i had nothing to do with it that you know, there's no reason for me to feel any responsibility for the way that she's or the way that she's treated um, me in her life, and yeah, does that does that make sense?
0: Like a hundred percent sense. It makes so much sense. And when I asked you the question of like, is there anything else you want to say? You could have easily said no. Like, why do you think it's important to you that you get that message out to people?
1: because uh, I think a lot of people keep it keep it within and don't like to talk about it because it's like i said it it brings emotions up to the surface that a lot of people probably may have dealt with or don't want to deal with and um and like i said if if it doesn't get brought up it won't get brought up like for me if if no one asks me or talks to me about it i'm not gonna i don't volunteer this information to people um and if someone asks me like how my mum is or what or things like that i say yep fine mm. and i will move on to the next sort of sort of conversation i don't really delve into it because it's there's just too much to unpack usually um so yeah i just brought it up just so that people know that it's okay to have those feelings and that it's normal to, to want to talk to talk about them but also to to be careful with who that you you bring that up with because yeah things can can those emotions can get to a point where it's it's hard to to let people know exactly how you feel
0: I can relate to people just not asking enough about important parts of your life and I don't think that's yeah it's not a nice feeling so I'm always open to have a chat like this if you ever just want to be like oh let's just talk about it we don't even we'd like we don't have to record it but yeah I'd always be open to hearing where you're at with that um, okay thank you Do you wish people would ask you about your relationship with your mom more?
1: Not people in general, maybe, um, maybe my wife, maybe, um, maybe my dad. Um, but other than that, I don't really feel comfortable being that vulnerable with a lot of other people. Yeah.
0: I think that's, like lovely though like you can invite people to ask more because sometimes they feel like if especially if it's a more vulnerable topic like i don't want to bring that up i don't want to upset you but i think for them to hear Mm. like hey, like i don't mind you asking me about this like with the people that you're safe with i think that's a really special thing to do um and thank you so much jonathan like i've really i i've been out of podcasting for a while like i just stopped doing it when things were kind of up and down last year. So this has just been really special, like chatting to you. Um, And I'm just really reminded of the power that can come in these conversations. So yeah, just like from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much.